our church refresh and we're talking about what it means to be a church of misfits. Uh, so when TC gave me these verses, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I really wasn't sure where to go with it. And as I dug into the book of Ephesians, I thought, what I see here is a beautiful dream. I see here a picture and a vision of what the church can be and what the church should be. And I got really excited about that. So this morning I don't have three practical points. I don't have any alliteration, three things that begin with the letter T. I just have a picture that I want to share with you. So this is Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So today is going to be about reminding us who we are, who we are as the church. I want to remind us who we are and who we're called to be. So let's start at the beginning. When we first meet God in Genesis, I mean way at the beginning, he exists in community. He exists in relationship. We get to know the Trinity. The Trinity says, let us make man in our image. Community isn't something that God enjoys, that he likes to visit every once in a while. Community is fundamental to his nature as the God who is three in one. Three distinct beings in one. And that's the best thing there is. That's the best thing there is because it's perfection. It's endless love, it's full of joy, it's perfect peace, it's belonging, it's always togetherness, it's everything good that there is. It's the best thing that there is. And so God, out of his love, says, let's create some humans to enjoy this with us. This is the best thing. Let's share it. So the beautiful dream begins. It's going to be a community of people in community with the community of God. We broke it. But the dream doesn't end there. God has a plan to bring us into relationship. He still wants a community of people in community with the community of God. So he picks a man, and then that man's son, and then that son's family, and then some tribes, and then a nation, and history is just ticking along. We know how this goes. We get to Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us, and through Jesus, he's the restorer, the uniter, the one who makes us one again with God. He brings us back to community. Whoever believes is brought to right relationship with God. But what's missing? God didn't set out to restore us one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, now I have my one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. This is great. God's dream was bigger and crazier than that. He wanted to restore us to each other through him. A community of people in community with the community of God. In fact, Jesus' last prayer, one of his last prayers, he says to the Father, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me, 
May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God in Jesus, Jesus in God, us in Jesus, us in God. Which always, every time I read this, I always think of the Beatles song, I am the walrus, I am the walrus, you are the walrus, I am he and we and they and all together. Um, it's kind of the trinity, right? And then, that's really cool. Because it's, it's beautiful, it's unity, but it ends up that this beautiful dream begins to look like a crazy dream. Because here's this great idea, we're all going to be together, we're all going to be in community, this is super happy, what is this going to look like? So Jesus picks these 12 guys, and they're kind of an interesting group of people, but what strikes me the most is that there is a guy named Simon who is part of a group of people that wants to overthrow a government, and there's a guy named Matthew who's part of another group of people who is complicit in working with the government against his own people. So we've got let's overthrow the government and let's help the government in their overthrow of us. And that's like where we're going to start our community is with these guys among others. And then Jesus, so it's like okay, okay, I can, I can kind of see this, like there's these 12 guys, they're going to live together and walk with Jesus and like maybe they can sort out their differences. But Jesus is thinking, he's thinking bigger than that. And he adds more people to his followers. He adds Samaritans, who are sworn enemies of the Jews. He invites beggars in. He has former demoniacs who join him. He has women of ill repute. He has religious leaders. He invites widows and soldiers and scholars. And I'm going, wait, wait, wait. All of these people? This is going to be your beautiful community? This, this is just, this is getting to be a little much. And then... God goes another step further, and Pentecost happens. And we've got people from Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, all at Pentecost. They don't even speak the same languages. And the church goes on to be built out of these people. The church in the book of Acts also encounters beggars and priests. There's a murderer. There's governors, there's kings, there's servant girls, there's merchants, there's doctors, there's sorcerers, prophets, runaways, jailers. All these people are going to be one. This is going to be the community of people in community with the community of God. So this all made sense to me when it was Abraham's family and there were some tribes and there was a nation and that's kind of cool, like we, I can kind of see this working. And then God decides to include all these other people. And at the heart of that, which Paul talks about a ton in Ephesians, is God bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles. So up until this point in history, it's been the Jews. It's been Jesus' people. And now we're going to add everybody else. We're going to put everybody under the same roof. So uh, have any of you seen the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours? No? Okay, great movie. So they did a, there's an old version, there's a 2005 version. There's this guy named Frank, and he's an admiral in the Coast Guard, and he has, he's a widower, and he has eight kids. And then there's this woman named Helen, and she's a purse designer, and she has ten kids. Well, they fall in love, and they get married. And this is actually, this is funny, this is based on a true story, like, way, way back. It's been super Disneyfied. But these 18 kids come together with their two parents to live in the same house, and Frank's motto is, a clean ship is a happy ship. And Helen's motto is, 
Homes are for free expressions, not good impressions. As she says this, as there's like a pig running through her house, they have a pet pig. And so it's absolute chaos when they come together under the same roof. And the kids are really upset about this because now they're a family. These are my brothers and sisters and I don't really want to live with them. Now we've got our chore charts and our color coordinated schedules and we've got our spray paint and our pig and how are we gonna live together? And they, so they unite, the whole movie is about the kids coming together to try and split their parents up um, so they can go back to the way things were before. It was easier before, it was better before. But in that process, they begin to enjoy and appreciate one another. And as they're part of a team, they're bond, they bond together and then they decide, no, we actually are better off as, as this crazy family. And they don't lose, in that becoming one, they don't lose out on the things that make them special or unique, but they figure out how to blend those families together. And Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, okay, so we've got the Jews and the Gentiles, and they all have to figure out how to live under one roof together. Like, you are a family. This isn't up for questioning. God has made you a family. So you're going to have to figure out what to do with these people who eat weird things, and these people who can't eat those things, and these people who are circumcised, and these people who aren't circumcised. And you, you need to live into that reality. But how and why? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how at, the Gentiles were separate from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship. They were foreigners and to the covenant of the promise. They were without hope, without God in the world. And Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. So in this one passage, this one section, Paul is calling the Jews and Gentiles a family. He's calling them citizens together. He's saying they're members of the same body. He's calling them a building. He says that they are a temple. And then he says, you are heirs together and you are sharers in Jesus. And the reason that this can work, the reason that these diverse groups of people can be brought together is because he says, you are filled with Christ, you are united with Christ, and you are identified with Christ. This is only possible because Christ is over all and in all and through all because his fullness fills all things in every way. Y'all, human beings are not capable of this. This, this, doesn't, this doesn't happen. This is not possible, but Christ is. And Paul says, Christ himself, who is our peace? He brings us together. The thing that he is able to do that is immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine is to create one united people. He does this according to his power that is at work within us, 
And what kind of power is this? The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's a mystery. Paul describes this six times. He uses the phrase mystery. But this was the beautiful dream all along. And Paul says this was according to God's pleasure. God wanted to do this. This brings God joy. So what do you get when you get all of us under the same roof, united by Christ in peace? You get a group that looks like this, young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile. And this group of people is meant to bring God's kingdom to life. This is what this group of people is like. A group of people to whom no other human being is ever an enemy. Think about it. When this group of people is together, there is not anyone else of flesh and blood who is outside of our love. This community of people who probably normally wouldn't hang out together, when they are brought together and united in Christ, are people where the first is last and the last is first, the least is greatest, it's better to give than to receive, you lose your life to find it. In this beautiful dream of a community, the community of people in community with the community of God, we feed the hungry and care for the orphan and widow, visit the prisoners, bless our enemies, we give our money away, we don't worry about tomorrow, we're not afraid, we love like crazy. And Paul says at the beginning, of this Ephesians chapter 4. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And I always thought that verse was directed to me as an individual. Like, hey, Emily, you're a Christian. Try and act like it, okay? And I think what Paul is actually saying is, you church, as a collective body, you live into the calling you have received to be this group of people, to be a united group of people who are different and who, again, probably wouldn't hang out with each other otherwise. You are called into this, into this existence of being humble and gentle and patient, of, of being united, of being one body with one faith, with one Lord, with one hope, with one baptism. This is your calling, not, hey, you're a Christian, try and act like it. But you are called to be the church, to be a community of people. And then Paul says you know what? You are God's masterpiece. And again, this is one of those verses that I thought was talking about me. <laughs> like, oh, wow, cool, I'm, I'm God's masterpiece. And yes, on a, on a level that is true, but I think that in this context, in this book about the Jews and Gentiles all having to learn how to live under one roof, that God is saying, you, the church, are my masterpiece. That you, united followers of Jesus, all living in the same house, you are the masterpiece. It says in 2 verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. It's like God is saying, if you want to see me, here's my church. Here's the example. Look at this church. I'm going to hang this painting up on the wall. And what this painting is going to be is a group of crazy people, a group of misfits and dreamers and rebels and a group made of people who can't stand each other but somehow are going to learn how to love each other and be together in the same room. They're not going to look the same. They're not going to talk the same. They're not going to have the same political ideology, the same culture. They're not going to have any of those things the same, but they are going to have me the same. They're going to have Jesus the same. They're going to be united in Jesus. And this masterpiece is me. This is what the masterpiece that God points to as an example to the whole world. And God says that 
Paul says that God's intention was that the church would make manifest his wisdom. So that when people look at the church, they say, wow, this is a different kind of wisdom. Because this isn't worldly wisdom. This is that whole, like, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, and God's, kind of, God's wisdom is foolishness. Because there's no way to look at the church and to think that this is a good idea. <laughs> it's just not. Like, it's not a good idea except to God. And so when God wants to say, this is how my wisdom works. This is who I am. Look at the church. This is what wisdom looks like. Which is really, really crazy and amazing. So that Paul says, there's this great verse in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, when he thinks about this, for this reason, he says, I, I bow or I kneel before the Father. But I really like the New Living Translation, which says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees. Because what other reaction can there be? Paul goes into a posture of prayer and praise because he thinks about this and his mind is absolutely blown. What else can you do but fall to your knees and think, God, you are magnificent. You are glorious. You have brought together all people to be one, to be one in you, to be in that experience that the Trinity has of togetherness and joy and peace and belonging. God is making a way for that to happen, and it is happening. It's us. So what? it's preposterous, and it's absurd, and it doesn't make sense, and it's happening, and it's the reality. Because what Paul is saying is, this is how it is. We got to live into it. So with Frank and Helen's kids, they were a family. They had to figure out how to live into that. So a year ago, about a year ago, when we were, um, we went through a period of time where we didn't have a pastor for 10-ish months, and it was very hard. And I was pretty much going to root Sunday to Sunday. Like I'd wake up in the morning and be like, uh, am I going to go to church today? I don't know. I guess I'll go to church today. And I was tired, and it didn't seem worth it. And there was this very strong part of me that thought, this is ridiculous. Like, I can get online and listen to a sermon, no problem. And I can play a worship album, and I'll donate some money to a charity. Look, like, <laughs> sermon worship offering. And I, I don't get, why, why am I doing this church thing? Like, this is... This is hard, and I don't like this, and I don't see the point. Uh, it's kind of like, I went to church, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> and I, uh, I almost left Roots, like, multiple times, because I couldn't see the beauty of what the body of Christ is meant to be. All I could see is, this is hard, and I'm not getting anything out of it. And so when I look at Ephesians, I think, what happens when we strike out on our own? What happens when we strike out on our own? We have a, a piece of glass as compared to an entire stained glass window made up of lots of pieces of glass. When we strike out on our own, we have a little coal that kind of fizzes out as opposed to a nice burning fire. We have one leaf as opposed to a forest full of autumn leaves in their glory and all of their colors. We have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, but we miss out on that community that is in community with the community. 
and that we miss out on the beauty. We miss out on, on what that is. So I guess I don't have practical points for you today, as I said. And I, I know this is a hard thing, and I know... I wish I could, I could give you the how-tos of like, wow, here's this beautiful vision that God has, and we just need to do one, two, three, and look, here we are, we've made it. And I don't have that, and I know it's hard, and I know that the majority of the time we fall short, and I, I think I often feel discouraged. I look at the church and I'm like, well, I am not seeing any of this. Are you guys? Are you seeing any of this? But I wanted today only to remind us of who we are. That's all I wanted to do. I want to remind us of who we are and who we have been called to be. God says this is the reality. I am one, and I have invited you to be one with me. Come join that oneness with me. Live into that calling that I have called you to of one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one Father, over all, through all, in all. So that you can be my masterpiece. Just gonna leave you with one last thought. Um, back in the day when kings and queens had court jesters, which I just think is like the weirdest thing ever, uh, they were also sometimes known as fools. And they, if you've seen pictures of them, they have like, the clothing they're wearing is like different colors. So they have like patches of like, here's a yellow patch and here's a red patch. And they have like the funny little hats that are made of different colors. And those were actually, I thought those were really interesting. That clothing was motley clothing because motley clothing in the 14th to 17th centuries just was a word for a fabric of mixed colors. And it was known as the attire of a professional fool. And I thought, man, that's kind of what we are, is we're a motley crew. We are professional fools in kind of wonky clothing. And we're fools for Christ in this mad, beautiful dream that's foolish to men. This is the masterpiece, the motley crew masterpiece made up of all these different colors Professional fools. We're a community of people in community with the community of God. So let's remember that. And uh, I just want to say that I love you guys, my motley crew. You're my very own motley crew. So let's pray. God, truly your vision and your dream that you have called us to is beyond anything that we're able to do. It's beyond anything that makes sense to human beings. It's crazy talk, but it also is beautiful because we know that this is who you are and we know that this is who we can be through you. And in this world that is broken and hurting and where we lament, we see that you are calling us to be a people that welcomes all people who are broken and hurting and lamenting into this place of joy and healing. So we pray that you would help us to live into that calling, that we would be your masterpiece, Jesus. We love you. Amen.